0: So Cartier, I've been having trouble with my skin lately. You know, I try to eat as healthy as I can. I don't drink sodas. I drink water. But nothing seems to work. I need some advice.
1: Hmm, what is your current face regimen?
0: Well, I basically just do soap and water, and I try to exfoliate once a week.
1: Well, I might just have something for you. Have you heard of Roamer?
0: No, I have not heard of Roamer
1: romer skincare based out of chicago launched a work from home clean skincare line that covers all your skin needs with three easy to follow steps why you should check them out simple ingredients and effective results a perfect upgrade if you're still washing your face with a bar of soap or that drugstore face wash right now romer skincare is offering our listeners 15 percent off and a gift with your first purchase by using the code listener 15. That's code LISTENER15 on their website, romerskincare.com. Impress your partner and get happy skin.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Roamer Skincare. No stress, no clutter, just happy skin.
1: Hey, Sue Shells and welcome back to another installment here at The Melting Pot. Something that we like to call, The Doc Is In. And the reason why we like to call it that is because on today, we have one of the greatest doctors that we know on hand. I'm gonna give her the honor of introducing herself solely because, I mean, I can tell you who she is and all about her and her great expertise. Why not let her tell us about herself? So without further ado, I give you.
2: Hi, everyone who's listening. I am excited to be here on The Melting Pot. I am Melissa MacDonald or Dr. Mac. I'm a sports chiropractor in the Twin Cities. And what makes me different than your average chiropractor is I do predominantly work with athletes, treat sport injuries, and work with a typically a healthy adult, active person and try to keep them that way, keep them moving as best as possible. That is a wonderful career. I actually have a friend that's going
0: into that career. uh, Right now he's in college and he's preparing for that lifestyle. So, you know, I would love to connect you guys if that's possible at some point uh, before, you know, we depart with the episode. And Dr. Matt, you tell us that you're from the wonderful Twin Cities. Tell us what the weather is like currently.
2: Currently is actually in the eighties and sunny, which I know is not what you typically think of Minnesota. Uh, cause it's, when you think of Minnesota, you think of January and February when it's like negative 30, don't you know? But in all honesty, it's super hot the past couple weeks in the summer. It is, Midwest summers cannot get any better, but I am a true winter person. So I'm not as big a fan when it's hot out.
1: And I mean, Dr. Mac, I must say that I'm very jealous of you solely because here in Georgia, it's 101 degrees. No exaggeration. It is extremely hot. So the fact that you're complaining about 80 degrees, I would love it to be 80.
2: I guess that's a perspective. I, I would die if it was 100. I, I would literally die because I'm I'm used to being out in shorts and T-shirts when it's like 40 and 50 degrees outside. So when it gets to 80, it's it is a rough day for me. But 100, I wouldn't be able to do it.
1: Shorts and t-shirts and 50 degrees, I, that's that's a little bit bold. I could I couldn't do it. I I feel like short at 50 degrees, i would probably be under a bed with the heater on, wrapped up in another blanket, wrapped up in another blanket, and you're outside with shorts and t-shirt. But I guess you're used to it.
2: It, it's really just a difference in temperature thought processes because for like January and February we don't get above zero so it can be as cold as coldest temperature that I've physically seen on my car is negative 35 with a wind chill of negative 65 so when it's that cold 40 degrees is really warm
1: negative 35 in in Georgia, wish the whole state would be shut down. We we, we can't operate in negative thirty-five degree weather. We're not used to it, and we have we have black ice. and we're just we're just not we're just not built for it. Y'all are y'all are a different type of breed. Like we're just not we're not made for that. We're not ready. We will never be ready. So, being that these Minnesota athletes came down to Atlanta, was their performance thrown off due to the heat?
2: Uh, they performed extraordinarily well, but we had athletes that became heat injured. So they suffered from heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So when the fourth quarter rolled around, the team overall was struggling, but New York wasn't doing much better. So it was kind of equal in the sense that we had two Northern teams playing in the South. And it was a struggle all around just to keep everybody hydrated and moving. And only one athlete uh got pulled from the game due to heat and wasn't able to return it, it was a mess it was a sweaty sweaty mess
0: and can you tell us a little bit more about what happens to the body when it's enduring a heat injury
2: ah so for heat exhaustion and heat stroke it is just the varying stages of severe dehydration and where your body starts to not be able to compensate for the change in temperature so our body likes to stay at equilibrium or homeostasis and when we're not able to cool ourselves effectively so by sweating with the sweat evaporating and with conduction out into the air our body attempts to cool itself when it is over 75 percent humidity sweating is no longer an effective way to cool our body And as we start to increase and go up in temperature, we start to have symptoms of nausea and cramping and overall feeling of unwell. When you get beyond that state, which is heat exhaustion, you go into heat stroke. And this is where your body actually starts to go into a state of shock. And this is where you actually stop sweating. Your core temperature, which should be 98.6 degrees, can actually increase to, I think the highest temperature on record was like 106, 107 degrees. Granted, the person was having a seizure at the time. And ultimately, if you don't correct the symptoms of this, you can die.
1: Oh, well, and I do hope that person is okay. And slightly off topic of what you're saying, I wanna ask you a question. Is it normal for your body not to sweat? because i work out a lot hold on that's a lie i work out often but i can be in the gym for three to four hours and i might just get like a little bit of sweat compared to the other people that's been there so is it normal i know you said that's your body's cooling process so is my body not cooling or what's going on
0: I feel that question Cartier because I'm not a huge sweater when I do workout but I I range in the slightly less of a normal average of sweat production. But yeah I'm interested in
2: knowing the answer to that as well, right? So this is a really unique thing is that each individual's person's ability to cool themselves is a little bit different. So some people can go to the gym, work out, get a really ridiculous workout in and they don't sweat a drop and they're just fine. Other people take two steps into the gym and they look like they're coming out of the Sahara desert just drenched in sweat. And (laughs) it kind of has to do with our body, where we're from and how old we are and where our hormones are at. When I was younger, I never sweat. Now that I'm older, I am not cute when I go to the gym, mm I am disgusting. And, and that's something that's really changed as I've gotten a bit older. I sweat more and I sweat faster for whatever reason. So I would say as long as you're able to do the workout you want, you're not feeling ill or sick while you're doing it. Granted, if you're doing a hardcore workout where you're running, and you're pushing yourself to the end of exertion and you are feeling nauseous afterwards, that can be normal. But I'm saying if you're in the gym for three or four hours and you're feeling like you got a good workout and not feeling awful, you're fine. That's your body, it's normal. Glad to know that I'm normal because that's,
1: question I've been wanting to know for years because you know I did sports and you know I did other activities and it's just I don't sweat like the other people so I'm just like am I not working out as hard enough like what's going on it's just it just doesn't happen for me so I'm normal
2: it's completely normal everybody's body is a little different and it also can be the fact that you're used to Atlanta's heat so when you're in the air-conditioned gym you don't get as you're not as adversely affected by your workout versus if I went and worked out because I'm used to being in Minnesota where it's cold, my body's better adapted to being in the cold. So I'm just going to sweat a little bit more.
1: Gotcha.
2: So doc, you're in the field of chiropractic work. How did you know that this field was the field for you? Ooh, so that took a little bit of research on my part i had always known i wanted to be in the medical field and initially i wanted to go the surgery route i had grown up watching Grey's anatomy and i wanted to be a surgeon
1: don't you just love Grey's anatomy
2: oh god it's so good but I started doing some shadowing. So as a college student, I contacted some local area general surgeons and I asked to be in their office and they were gracious enough to not only let me go on their office calls with their patients, but they would let me do hospital rounds and go in the ER with them or in the OR with them. So I got to actually stand and watch them do surgeries. And there were, I loved being in the OR, but I didn't necessarily appreciate how they communicated with their patients. I like to get to know people. I like to understand them. I like to be involved with making sure we get to where they wanna be and that they know I'm their cheerleader, I'm their guide, I am there to help them. but. When it was working with the surgeons, they were, they said, we couldn't, if we developed that type of human relationship with our patients, we couldn't cut them open. We couldn't perform the surgery that was necessary for them. So they had a very cold demeanor within their clinical realm of actually talking to the patient. And I just hated that. So I started to search what type of doctor actually gets to care for their patients, spend time with them and have that freedom to spend with them. And family practice medicine was so insurance based, so controlled. Patients had to be in and out in 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's not what I want. I looked at being a physical therapist, but then everything a physical therapist did at the time I was looking was controlled by an MD and all the PTs did was complain that the MDs didn't know what they actually, the patient actually needed. And I'm like, well, I don't want that type of over control. So then I started looking at chiropractic and we had three amazing doctors in my hometown that had all graduated from Northwestern Health Sciences University and was speaking with them It was basically the autonomy of a physical therapist combined with the ability to adjust and actually eliminate pain without having to use any medications. And it was optional if you were going to deal with insurance or not. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of the perfect scenario where... I can work with patients however long I want. So when I see a patient for the first time and they come into the office, I'll spend between an hour and an hour and a half with them figuring out what's going on. And I love that I have the ability to do that. Now, after being a chiropractor, there are, just like with all professions, some issues within it internally. And it's getting better, but there always are going to be some let's say less than ideal doctors to deal with and insurance companies and people are recognizing when chiropractors don't have their best interest at heart and they're starting to get phased out and frankly they're starting to age out the younger generation of chiropractors are using the highest evidence possible to take care of their patients so it's growing into quite a fun profession to be in
1: wow so basically you had to choose which uh you know between bedside manner and and you know not using medicines and you found a medium and that's pretty cool because you know like some people do not prefer to uh take medication so the fact that you can practice and uh heal somebody that way I feel like it's amazing I never even knew until I did some research on you that that's what you you know you did
2: yeah I mean not to say that not being there are times and places for medication always but when it comes to pain management our the pain medication that we have right now they have a lot of side effects and if we can avoid having to put you on opioids or muscle relaxers it really gets you a better long-term outcome
0: I know recently on our show, we I can't remember which episode, but we talked about the opioid epidemic and how that, you know, just acknowledging that it is a real problem and it's been like that for, you know, some decades now. That gets into a whole nother story, but it's just the fact of how are we really going to you know stir away from that and stir away from opioids and are there any other alternatives out there and not that you have to answer this but it's just you know just my thought process so yeah so what would you say to someone who's considering entering into this field?
2: Do your research. Right now, chiropractic is kind of at a pivotal point where it is making some decisions professionally that will make some big changes in one one direction or the other. And it is important to understand that if you're getting into this profession to make a ton of money, it is possible, but it is a lot of work and you're going to have a lot of student loans. So you really have to weigh cost to benefits because a lot of people get into the profession and get frustrated because the first 10, 15 years is a grind. You are working 24 seven, seven days a week, doing everything you can to grow your business and developing the systems in place to have that business. There are opportunities for chiropractors in hospitals, that is growing. It's not great right now. There are opportunities for our chiropractors in the VA, but when you're working in one of those huge systems, you don't have that autonomy to do what you want. And for me, I don't know if people know this about me, but I like to be in control. I like to be the boss. I like to be able to have that control and that's where being my own owning my own clinic is both the best and worst thing of my life I don't have children my clinic is my child and it causes me the most stress and the most joy so Oh God, it is, it is it is the most frustrating baby that ever existed. So just know you've got to do your research so that when you get into the profession, you honestly know what to expect and how to set yourself up for success. And I fully admit, I probably did not quite do enough research prior to getting into the profession, but I happened to, to fall into the perfect micro aspect of the profession which is the sports because it it is my group. I love working with athletes. I love watching them perform better and specifically I did 2 years of postdoctoral training so in a fellowship or residency if that term is a little easier to equate to. So I did a two year residency where I focused on how to work with high performance female athletes. So they're kind of working with females is my absolutely favorite, making sure that they can perform at their highest level. Of course, I work with everyone, but we all have our favorites. Initially, all through chiropractic school, I was going to be a chiropractic radiologist. That was what i was going to do i was going to sit in a dark room and read x-rays all day and then in my last year of chiropractic school i volunteered at a judo tournament to do pre-concussion screening of all the athletes participating once we were done with the pre-screening the medical uh chief medical officer was like hey will anyone volunteer to stay to help work in the triage area so where any of the injured athletes are going to be placed and i was like you know what i don't know what judo is i've never worked a sideline i've never done something like this this kind of sounds fun and i have time today i'll volunteer and that was the first time i had kind of put myself into an environment of sport injuries and boy was it a day we had a dislocated elbow we had a kid completely knocked unconscious and have to be spine boarded we had a broken leg like it was all over the place and i was like oh my god this is so stressful this is an adrenaline rush i want to do it more Because that's a normal response to trauma. I then looked into what would I need to do to get on sidelines right now as a student. So while getting my doctoral degree, I also went and got my EMT license at night (laughs) so that after I completed it, I could start working sidelines that summer before graduation. So I worked with the Human Performance Center on campus as a student covering high school sidelines in the local Twin Cities area. So I kind of jumped in and that's when the bug hit and I just stuck with sports from then on out.
0: Wow. So it's like you really had a true daze from Grey's Anatomy. (laughs)
2: Speaking of Grey's characters, Dr. Bailey's husband, when he switches from anesthesiology to surgery to being a firefighter, I I resonate with that man. I get it.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, of course, you know, not every day is probably as exciting as fast as Gray's, but I'm pretty sure on average, you can get pretty close, right?
2: Uh, Definitely before COVID and the stopping of all sports my days were jam-packed with insanity because I would spend uh, five or six hours in clinic treating patients, then I would go work a high school, sideline, deal with all the trauma injuries there, come home, do all my notes, get all my social media content up and running and then repeat the next day. And last summer, and I was fully planning on doing it this summer, I got the position of chief medical officer of a drum corps international marching band here in the Twin Cities, River City Rhythms. And that was an experience Wow! because there's a 110 to 120 athletes that I was medically responsible for that would spend nine hours a day training to perform an 11-minute show where they're running and playing their instruments simultaneously. And the overuse injuries, the heat injuries, the stepped-in-a-hole-and-broke-their-leg injuries was just day in and day out. So that was an amazing experience. And I was very disappointed, but fully understood why this year's season was canceled. And I'm just chomping at the bit to get back out there next year
1: and if you ever need an assistant i'm always free (laughs) i'm
2: always free (laughs) absolutely i always so that's one thing i do here in minnesota is i've partnered with uh the university the chiropractic university so i'm also a faculty member there you're gonna start to realize i do a lot of things. I don't I don't know when I sleep. It's fine. But I also teach some classes, but then that allows me to take the young interns and have them come work with me on my sidelines. Yeah. So I do actually take assistants with me.
1: Yeah, I want I want to be the next assistant cuz that sounds like a great hot day outside.
2: It's a great time.
1: I can believe it. I can believe it. Um I remember in high school, there used to be like, in my high school, I don't know if you're familiar with the organization, um, Healthcare Occupational Students of America, HOSA. And they used to have like um, st- student nurses who would do like the sideline games and all of that. And, was, you know, it was something cool. I don't know how far they got with it now. but they Yeah, that now that
2: they've cool. pretty much pulled nurses off of sidelines and... Almost all sidelines are covered by a certified athletic trainer or some form of emergency provider, be it an EMT or a paramedic. Really, the best sideline providers are gonna be your certified athletic trainers. Then your second best is going to be a sports certified chiropractor with a EMT license because they're almost, almost at the same level of an ATC if they have actually taken the time to learn and understand sport injuries when they're acute. So, and by acute, I mean you watch the kid break their leg. And how do you respond to it?
0: So basically you can see that with the naked eye?
2: Uh, Yeah, so this might sound a little dark, but Something a couple of my friends do together is we'll get together and do a watch party for a sporting event. And when there's an injury, we will all try to predict what the injury is based on the mechanism of how the person went down. And we're generally about 90% correct for calling whether it's an ACL, whether it's a PCL, whether it's a dislocated shoulder, whether it's going to be a uh, head injury that requires spine boarding, we're we're pretty quick to make the call on what the person needs because when you stand on a sideline and watch, that's all you see is where the potential injuries could be and how they're happening.
1: Okay, so Dr. Mack, two things. One, that watch party sounds pretty amazing. And the second thing, no, I keep referring to Grey's Anatomy. I just feel like that's just something they would do in Grey's Anatomy. Like I can see Christina Yang and Meredith Grey just <laughs> watching a sporting event, not for the sport, but for potential surgeries that they can perform.
2: Oh heck yes, that is exactly what it is. My uh, best friend and I, she's a chiropractic ATC, so she's a she's bomb we will if we're not watching together we will send each other videos like it was not it was in Sochi it was the Sochi Olympics it was the downhill snowboarding event and a New Zealand athlete just got blown up on a jump and completely yard sailed all their gear and we were horrified by how the athlete just was allowed to stand up and continue down the course because both of us were convinced that there had to have been a back fracture they had to have broken something and there was no way that athlete should have been allowed to go down the hill and two days later there was a report that came out that said he had actually broken his neck and we were like, see, see, we were right. And we had like watched that video and shared it with each other because I think she sent it to me because I hadn't been watching that event. I was watching probably hockey because that's, I'm from Minnesota. We're going to watch hockey.
1: <laughs> what is the wheelhouse for seeing a chiropractor?
2: What do you mean? Like why Why would you go see a chiropractor?
1: Why would one need to go see a chiropractor?
2: Ah, So this is an interesting question. Really, it comes down to, are you trying to do an activity and you can't do it because it hurts? You don't have the range of motion. You aren't able to move in a way to do the activity. That could be a really good reason to go see a chiropractor. Another reason could be simply at the end of the day, after working all day at a desk, your body feels really crummy and achy and sore, that can be a really good reason to go see a chiropractor. Uh, The other thing is if you're injured, have you actually like rolled your ankle, sprained your shoulder? Those can all be indications. And then Once you're out of pain, the reasons to stay with a chiropractor could be to keep performing at a high level. So when I'm working with a football team, I'm not going to be able to stop treating them during the season because they're going to get themselves banged up every practice, every game. So they're just going to have to have a little more frequent care. But as a general person, do you need to see a chiropractor every single day? Chiropractic care is something that I think everybody, I think everybody at some point in their life will need a chiropractor. Why you'll need a chiropractor will vary. The two things I definitively can say is evidence-based, research-based, is if you get headaches or have low back pain, we can fix that. (laughs)
1: I definitely see chiropractic and I'm gonna tell you why so and I know that you know once you have a car accident you don't feel in that moment because of your adrenaline is rushing but is there a is there a little bit more of a scientific reason why you don't feel it to after or is it just because the adrenaline is rushing because it's like I had a personally now speaking I had a car accident like what two years ago and I'm just now starting to you know get um, back pains now So is there like a reason for that or?
2: So it's really interesting when people come in and have issues that have gone on for a long period of time. So having that prior car accident, you said. So having that prior car accident could have caused some underlying issues that maybe at the time you didn't realize had occurred The other thing that probably is more likely is you were in a car accident. After the car accident, you decided that, oh my God, I was just in an accident. I'm going to lay on the couch and rest for several days until my body stops hurting. And in all honesty, that was probably not the right move because when we stop moving, our body stops moving. And when we're looking at physics principles, objects in motion remain in motion. So an object at rest remains at rest. So when we just rest our body, we have a tendency to actually cause more issues when we don't rest appropriately. So it's all about finding that balance. And that's where having a evidence-based, rehab-based chiropractor can help you get back to the highest level of sport and the highest level of activity, whatever that is. For me, I say sport, and I mean, maybe you're going in your backyard and playing catch with your kid. Maybe you're going for a walk. Maybe you're wanting to go for a hike. That's your sport. That's your activity. That is your big game, I want to make sure I help you get there.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I don't know why so much pressure put on physicians and doctors because the person themselves have to want to get better and have to want to work and, um, you know, to get to to get back to normal, or to get back to full uh, mobility, if possible. But you know, it can't be easy handling adults because you know adults who have sustained injuries whether it's sports related because you know that's their entire career or you're talking about uh, adults you know who may have been in a car accident or just have normal uh, injuries that need rehabilitation it's you know a certain level of um, dedication that you have to have and you know adults can be stubborn we're stuck in our ways So, Dr. Max, seeing that you heal without the use of drugs, what is your success rate?
2: So, I think it depends upon the condition for what the overall success rate is. I would say when I, and how engaged the patient is into getting better, because I can adjust someone over and over again and get them short-term relief but if they really want to have the long-term effects they've got to do their exercises they have to be engaged in their overall health care now when i have someone that is engaged with their exercises and follow the recommended treatment plan i would say in all honesty i have a 95 99 i don't i've never actually thought about the percentage i would say the vast majority of my patients make a full recovery and go back to the activities that they want to do at full performance. So I could say 100%, but there's always gonna be that one person that was like, I saw you and I didn't get better. So there's no way it was 100%. But again, it's all about that partnership. When a patient comes in, my job is to guide them back to health. Take the information they have, structure a custom plan to them, to their body, and get them back to the activity, get them back to their sport that they want to do. And we have to work together I can't be the only one involved. It just doesn't work well that way.
0: So on the subject of education, what type of education is needed or degree is uh, needed to become a chiropractor?
2: For a basic chiropractor, you generally start off with a bachelor's degree. Now, a lot of schools have the option that you can complete 90 credits, then start your chiropractic degree and complete your bachelor's while you're at chiropractic school. That is an interesting option and with being a both a student during that type of option and being a faculty member, students who do that can struggle because they're just younger when they enter the program and chiropractic's a rather rigorous degree so just going for straight chiropractic it's a either a semester a trimester or a quarterly program depending upon the school so my school did a trimester program and it was year-round so we went three trimesters each year. Each term was between 28 and 32 credits. Yeah. And it started off with your basic sciences. So gross anatomy, biochemistry, histology, immunology, uh, embryology, all the ologies you could possibly think of. Then it went into diagnostic classes, so your general diagnosis, your EENT, your cardio palm study, your GIGU, looking at all the different systems. And then it went into internship, so actually starting to get into patient care. And of course, during all this, there's the threat of chiropractic where you're in methods classes, learning how to actually adjust. And once you're done, you can go out and go practice. I opted to do two years of additional study to get a sports certification both nationally and internationally. There are other options for doing those certifications, but I felt the fellowship was the best fit for me to give me access to actually being able to work with athletes and grow my knowledge the best way possible. So here's a common thing. You know how growing up, all your aunts and grandparents will be like, don't crack your knuckles. You're going to give yourself arthritis. And how do we, how we know that, Dr.
1: Matt? Because it, it sounds like it's true.
2: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are not going to give yourself arthritis by cracking your joints over and over again. That is false. 100%. There is no damage being done. Usually what causes arthritis in our hands is the fact that we repetitively do the same thing over and over again. And back... When our grandparents were growing up, they were doing much heavier manual labor, meaning they were lifting, they were carrying, they were moving things. They were more likely to hit their hands on the wall. They were more likely to drop something and crush their hand. They were more likely to cause trauma and damage that is what's going to cause arthritis, is those stresses that we put on the body. Arthritis is simply the body's response to stress trying to protect itself. Popping your knuckles doesn't cause damage. Bashing your knuckle into a basketball and jamming your finger, that causes damage.
1: Wow, I didn't even know chiropractors did all of that. I thought it was more of a lay on the table put their hand, your body cracks, and that's just that.
2: For those who want to follow me, you can find me at my clinic site on Facebook and my YouTube site at Mobility Agility Chiropractic Performance. At Instagram, it's MACP underscore clinic, so MACP underscore clinic. You can find me at my podcast, the MAC Performance Podcast on majority of your major podcasting sites And I just started a TikTok for some reason. It's Dr. Mac underscore Cairo. So we'll we'll see what happens there.
1: (laughs) Wow, Dr. Mac, I don't even have a a TikTok. Maybe I should need to get into it. I just feel like I'm too old for it, even though I'm not.
2: I'm pretty sure I am older than you and I am trying. So there's no harm.
1: And we hope that you really learned something. And we want to thank Dr. Mac for taking time out of her busy schedule just to come here and, you know, talk about Gray's Anatomy and talk about all the wonderful things that she do with her life. And if you'd like to follow her again, follow her on all her social medias, follow her on her TikToks.
0: And I'm your host, Sly.
1: And I'm the Dawn. And, and
0: this, this has been, been The Melting, Melting Pot. Pot.